We good? Sound on? All right, we got it. Always a difficult thing to say so long goodbye, at least temporarily, to people that we love and care about, uh, but understanding that God is sovereign and will continue to watch over them and has a purpose for them. Uh, even in Ohio, you know, if God has a purpose for Syracuse, which we know he does, then surely he has a purpose for Ohio, right? Hopefully a Game 7 win today uh, against the Pacers, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, anyway, we love you guys, and uh, we will continue to pray for you, and we will miss you dearly. Miss you dearly. So, amen. All right, question of the morning is this. In your opinion, what are the most serious issues affecting the world today? That question there was asked to 25,000 millennials. Hear that word. 25,000 millennials in 186 countries across the globe. Okay? So 25,000 millennials, 186 countries across the globe. What are the most serious issues affecting the world today? The World Economic Forum asked that, and uh, they came up with the 10 main answers. I'm going to basically just give you the top three. Number three was inequality. That is income and ethnic discrimination. So inequality, definitely an issue the world faces today. Number two, large-scale conflict or wars. So the second most pressing issue that, according to millennials, that, that the world is facing is, is wars, conflicts across the world. I think that's, you know, that's a major issue that we see, right? Anyone want to guess what the number one issue was that millennials think uh, the world is facing? Three years in a row, anyone want to just give a stab at it? Maybe you're privy to the study. Three years in a row. And just so you know, in no way, shape, or form am I intending to mock or make fun of any particular generation. It just is what it is. Okay? Number one, climate change. The number one issue. The destruction of our world. Third year in a row amongst millennials. 186 countries, not just Americans, across the world say that climate change, the destruction of nature, is the number one pressing issue our world is facing. Let me throw it back to you one more time. In your opinion, what is the most serious issue affecting the world today? What is our greatest need, if I could rephrase it? What is the biggest problem, if I could do a slightly different way of asking the question? What would you point the finger as the most pressing need in our world today? Would it be one of those three? Would it be something else? Like we do every week, we're going to turn to the scriptures, the Bible. We're going to ask the question, what would God say? What would the Lord say to us in his word about what is the most pressing issue, our greatest need, the problem that we must face? We're going to point the finger at something. We're going to blame something as the source of things that can wreak havoc on humanity and even cause death. We're going to point the finger at something. What will it be? 
And let's see what God says that it is. Romans chapter 7, 7 through 25. A very long, intense, overwhelming, heavy, not lighthearted passage for Family Sunday. Amen. But a wonderful passage. Romans 7, 7 through 25. What shall we say then? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy. And righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin. Producing death in me. That through what is good. I'm sorry. Producing death in me through what is good. In order that sin might be shown to be sin. And through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being. But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God abides forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. We've been in Romans for quite some time. I think it's helpful in the midst of an argument 
And all this rhetoric that Paul is writing uh, to get a, a quick a quick understanding of context. So Paul has been emphasizing freedom. Freedom. In chapter 6, Paul has emphasized and said that we in Christ are free from sin. <laughs> we are free from sin. We don't keep sinning because why? Christ in his work and by our faith in that work, we have been set free from sin. Chapter 7, he goes on to say, not only have we been set free from sin, but we have been set free from the law. Both of these freedoms, if you will, come through death. We died to sin in baptism, and we died to the law through the body of Christ. We are free from sin, and we are free from the law. Praise God. Please don't, don't miss that. We've been emphasizing it properly over the last couple of chapters. But what you see is happening is, as he's articulating this freedom, free from sin, free from the law, it's almost like two uh, distinguishable realities can easily become one culprit. Ah, we needed to, to be free from sin just like we needed to be free from the law, or vice versa. We need to be free from the law because it's kind of like sin. Maybe it is sin. Maybe the law is the problem, just like sin is the problem. right? If we're set free from the law and we're set free from sin, hey, maybe we point back to the law and say, the law is to blame for the death that we are experiencing. So as Paul is articulating this freedom... He wants to clarify with his readers about the nature of the problem that is causing death. And he's very clear that it is not the law. We do not point at the law of God, a.k.a. the law of Moses, and say, Ah, that is sinful. That is evil. That is wrong. We don't have the right or the basis to point the finger at the law. He says, what shall we say then? That the law is sin? By no means. The conclusion he draws later on in the passage is very clear. Verse 12. So the law is holy. The commandment is holy. The law and the commandment, they're righteous. They're good. They're not the problem. We don't point the finger at the law and say the law is to blame for the great issue that we face, death. The law is not the source of the problem. We cannot point our finger at it. But what is the law? As a reflection of the righteousness and goodness and holiness of God, the law makes us knowledgeable of the problem. It makes us knowledgeable of sin. The law brings knowledge of sin. Right? Verse 7, yet if, it had, yet if it was not for the law, I would not have known sin. I would not have known sin. I would have never been cognizant of the problem that I have. I would not have known what it is to covet if the law never said, 10th commandment, you shall not covet. So the law has a way of revealing, of putting light to something that is dark to making something known that is hidden. 
And the law reveals our sin. We saw that in chapter 3, verse 20. Since through the law, no man is justified by the works of the law. No one is made or, or declared to be righteous in God's sight through obedience to the law. The law is holy and righteous and good, but it is not capable of giving us a righteous standing before God. Right? Remember that. But the law functions in the way it was designed to function. It brings knowledge of sin. So I'm going to get real personal for the moment. Because this passage is very personal. 47 times in this passage is the personal pronoun I, me, or my present. It's very personal. So I'm going to get personal with you. Do you know your sin? Are you aware? Are you cognizant of your sin? That's what the law does. If you're interacting with the law, if you're hearing the preached word, if you're reading the scriptures, if you're interacting with people in biblical community, part of our membership covenant is we together will bow to the authority of scripture, the God of the scriptures. We will submit our lives to the revealed word of God. This is our authority. And as we do that and we live that out, what happens is relationships interact with the scriptures and we keep each other accountable to the revealed will of God. And we become knowledgeable of our sin. We know what our issues are through the revelation of God in the scriptures. So do you know your sin? My hunch is, my belief is that you know less of your sin the less you interact with the revealed will of God, the holiness, goodness, and just will of God. You will know less of your sin if you come here week in and week out and you're checking your phone more than you're listening to the preached word. You will know less of your predicament if you're ignoring the scriptures, if you're not in a relationship where the scriptures are present and being submitted to. You will be ignorant of the issues and sins that you face and have. You will be numb. And that's a very dangerous position to be in. The truth is, is in our suburban culture, that's exactly what we have purchased for ourselves. We love to enjoy the fruit of our successes and entertain ourselves with vacations and all these things that, man, I love and enjoy too. I feel the pull. But understand this. When our heart is so in tune with those things, it's easy to become numb to the curse of sin and death. Suburban culture is that, right? Isolating ourselves from the difficulties and the issues of the world that we face driving into our garages and shutting the door and enjoying the fruit of our successes, and we don't even have to pay attention to the real issues that we face in society. We can believe that all is well in the suburbs, can't we? And yet we recognize that no how much we isolate ourselves from the problems in our world, there's still a problem that continues to wreak havoc in our heart inside of us that we can never escape. The real culprit that is the source of sin and death. The real culprit that is to be, uh, the finger is 
to be pointed at. It is not the law. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means, verse 13. You can't point the finger at the law. And then he goes on to say this, verse 13, right? Look what it says. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin. It was sin. Sin is at work inside of us. The problem is not out there. The problem is in here. Our greatest problem that we face as humans is not out there to be fixed. It's inside us. It it, it was sin. The thing that is causing us death is sin. Your sin. My sin. Our sin. Inside of us. It was sin. That is the true culprit that brings death in us. Paul wants us to see that crystal clear. Don't point the finger at something outside of you. And when you point the finger at the law, you are really pointing the finger at the one who gave the law. And we love to do that today. If God were so good, why would he? We love to point the finger at God and take the blame off of where it really belongs. The depth of our own soul. Us. The sin inside of us. So we point the finger at the true culprit, the sin inside of us. That's what's bringing us death. How does that happen? Well, he's very clear, verse 9, 8, and 11. Sin is dormant, but when the law comes, it's awakened, right? For apart from the law, sin is dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive in me. When we interact with God's revealed will, sin has a way of just saying, no, you know what I'm talking about. The sin inside of us hears the word and the will of God, and it says, no. Just like a child who shocks a parent and says, no. Right? We talk about original sin. How can this beautiful little child be sinful? I'm like, because the minute you say, she... Uh, her will comes to life and you place a command there, this wee little beautiful little thing is going to say no. At first opportunity, at first opportunity, this child will seize sin. It's in her heart. It's in his DNA. So sin comes alive, seizes the opportunity. Verse 8 and 11, sin seizes an opportunity through the commandment. It Sin seizes an opportunity through the commandment again. And so sin comes alive when it hears the law and then it seizes the opportunity to do exactly what the law prohibits. If it says don't covet, I'm going to covet. If it says don't lie, I'm going to lie. Man, this disobeying God is so easy. It says don't murder, I'm going to do it. Maybe not with a knife, but with the hatred in my heart. If it says don't commit adultery, maybe I won't go sweep, be with another woman. Got to be careful my language on Family Sunday. But man, I will look and enjoy. Got to be careful on Family Sunday. You're welcome, parents. But what does sin do after it comes alive and takes the opportunity? It lies to us. Guys, let's be clear. Sin is a liar, a compulsive liar. And in this point, you really, you're drawn back to Eden. Right? For sin deceived me. It promised me life. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. It promised me life, and in the end, it killed me. 
It brought me death. That's what sin does to us. It, it gives uh, the, the curse and the disobeying of God and the breaking of his law such beauty, such wonder. It's better than what God would have. It lies. And then in the end, it is not just a liar. It is a murderer. Sin killed me. The sin inside us comes alive. The sin inside us deceives us. It lies to us. And then it kills us. It does exactly what he wants. So the problem that we have is the sin inside of us. And that is the thing that is going to kill you. This is eternal. This is a matter of life and death. This is not just religiosity and cute little things to talk about or heavy things to manipulate people, to run the organization of the church. This is about eternal life and death. This is about the core problem that every man, woman, and child on this planet faces and must deal with, the sin within them. And so therefore, our greatest need is deliverance. That's our greatest problem. Our greatest need is deliverance. We need to be delivered. We need someone to come and do something about the sin that is inside of us. Because if the problem's inside of us, guess what? The solution can't be. If the problem's in us, the solution can't be. So many of us think that the solution to the problems in our world is inside of us. I think the world gets it all wrong. The problems are out there, and if we can just figure it out, if we can just pull ourselves up, if we could just get rid of... No, no. The problem's in here, and the solution's out there. We need a deliverer. And here is the gospel that we've been preaching for months now through Romans. Christ has delivered us. Done, signed, sealed, delivered. We have been delivered from our greatest problem. Our greatest need has been met in Christ. God has done all that is necessary through his death on a cross for sinners so that those who place their faith, hope, and trust in him will be set free from sin and the law and will be saved. We need it. God gives it already. He has indeed set us free from the law. God has met our greatest need. What was outside of us came to us to save us from our greatest problem that leads to death so that we can have the hope of eternal life. This will not come across the news feed on CNN today. It will not. Or Fox, let's be fair. But you need to hear this. Know your needs. See God's provision. God has met this need. It is already yours. It has been secured for you. It is done. If you trust in Christ, you have been delivered from your greatest problem. Your greatest need has been met. Nothing can take it away from you. End of story. Sign, sealed, delivered, period. That is the gospel. That is the wonderful news of Jesus Christ. And yet... At the same time, you're thinking to yourself this, but why do I keep sinning? If I've been set free, why do I still feel enslaved? What is going on? And that's where the rest of this passage goes. We know and we claim 
and we hold dear to the truth that Christ has already delivered us from sin. And yet we recognize that we've not yet, not yet, not yet been fully delivered from the presence of sin. The dominion of sin, gone. Someone say amen. The dominion of sin, gone. The dominion of sin has been defeated in your life. It does not rule you, Christian. But the presence of sin remains. Already been delivered. Not yet delivered. Very important part of understanding God's intention. And so now, this presence of sin is still very real. And what it does, as we understand the Spirit of God now living inside the people who trust in Jesus, God literally lives inside of you. He, he, he dwells within you. And it creates a problem. It creates a tug of war between the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, and the presence of sin that it lives and wants to push back and live in contradiction to the Spirit's leading. Tug of war. You all know exactly what I'm talking about. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I pray today that you will, because you will embrace Jesus, and the Spirit will come in, and you'll all of a sudden be faced with decisions and conflicting desires that you've never had before. But if you are a follower of Jesus, you know about this tug of war that exists in your soul between the Spirit of God and the sin that remains. And that's what Paul's talking about. 47 times in the passage. I or me. Very personal. He's telling us his personal experience about this intensely spiritual tug of war that's going on. He talks about this inner confusion. I wonder if some of you identify with that. You're scratching your head. Why am I doing this? This doesn't make any sense to me. There's this tug of war, and in this tug of war where the the spirit and the flesh, the law is spiritual, but I'm of the flesh, right? In In the midst of this tension, there's confusion that comes up. He says, I don't understand my own actions. I don't get it at all. It's mind-boggling to me. This doesn't make any sense. Why am I doing this? Raise your hand if you've ever felt confusion about your actions. Mine are very high. Why did I say that? I didn't want to say that. Why did I do that? That's not me. I don't understand. This doesn't make any sense. But not only that, he goes on to talk about this push and pull of his desires and actions that... He really doesn't, isn't just confused. He's out of control often. Raise your hand if you've ever felt out of control in your walk with Christ. I don't understand it. I have these desires and I have these desires. But my actions are inconsistent with what I really want. For I do not do what I want, he says. But I do the very thing that I hate. You ever feel like you're doing the things that you hate? Man. I have the desire to do what is right, but the inability in my flesh to carry it out. I do not do the good that I want, he says, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. And this is a consistent struggle, an ongoing battle. He keeps failing miserably. Raise your hand if you feel that. 
This is personal. Do you feel that? You should feel this. It's logic, but it's felt logic. It's logic on fire. And there's this growing awareness of the root problem. And I want you to see it too. Because many of you might just, the knowledge of what's going on inside of you might prove to be a helpful thing in your walk with God and your fight against sin. Your biggest issue continues to be the sin within you. So many of us, again, back to suburban culture, think that our financial issues are our number one problem. We think that our student loan debt is the number one thing I should be consumed with fixing. Finding a home, that's the most important thing for my family. Taking that next step in corporate America. If I could just have that promotion, and so you give your life to it. Having a great family, being together, enjoying holidays at the sea, going to Disney. I mean, I've been there. We're all doing it. We're, we're so fixed on consumerism and enjoying the things of this world. Our own personal happiness. Man, some of us have gotten wrapped up in the GMO thing. Oh, man, does it have the non-GMO label? Man, we are living into the kingdom of God. Is it organic? Praise Jesus. Again, I'm six days into trying to cut back. Like, you know what I mean? We got to be careful. We'd be eating some wrong stuff. There's some messy food out there. But that's not our number one issue, people. That's not your priority, like top of the list. The issue continues to be for the Christian fighting sin, ridding ourselves of sin, battling our enemy, trusting Jesus, and walking in holiness. How much of your time, money, resources, emotion is going to getting the upper hand on your greatest issue, sin? Because I know you're spending a lot of time on all the other stuff. I know that my attention is always pulled to those things rather than the issue, sin, holiness, righteousness, walking in faithful obedience to the God that has saved me. If I could just do, if I could just get, if I could just, no, 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 sin. That sin within is the issue. It's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. It's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Do you know your greatest issue? Do you know it? Well, now you do. You know it. The law, the word, the truth has told you. Your greatest issue is the sin within you. It's not out there. It's right in here. You don't just need a mirror. You need an x-ray machine. And that is the scriptures that looks deep inside of you. The deepest part of who you are. And it said, your greatest issue is the sin within. Your greatest battle every day is sin. The Christian life is about battling it. It's not about enjoying the this or that. The American experience that Christ has secured for us and some twisted prosperity understanding of the gospel. Fewey, it is a fight. And it's hard. You think the Christian life is easy. You, you've misplaced what the, the nature of the Christian life is. It is hard. It is difficult. It's work. It's a battle. And you need weapons. So trust Christ. Fight sin. Kill sin. Slice its throat. This battle's a hard one. 
takes its toll on us, doesn't it? I know for me, it's an emotional toll, a mental toll. Uh, uh, it, 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 it messes with me, this sin. And being in ministry doesn't free you from this at all. Being some pastor, some, oh, he's got to figure, no, listen, there's a tug of war in my heart every single day in every interaction that I face. And so I know it's in you. I know what you're facing. I know the, the exhaustion that you feel trying to battle sin uh, in, in this life. I'm always feeling a, a, a pull toward, wow, in Christ there is peace. Inner peace. And then there's this pull the other way of, yeah, but, 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 but the credit card's a little high this month and I don't think we're going to be able to pay them... It, and you start biting your fingernails and you start getting worried and you start to stress out. There's this pull toward, toward in Christ, peace. And then there's this anxiety that wells up inside of me that makes me panic over little things that make absolutely no sense. There's a pull inside of me that says Christ has, has set me free and provided me a spirit which wells up inside of me self-control. I'm in control of all that I feel and know and experience. I don't have to lose it. But man, when somebody's frustrating me, there's a pull in my heart to slam a door, to lift a voice, to say something that hurts and cuts. There's a pull. There's a, there's, a, there's a spirit inside of me that says, be faithful to your wife, enjoy her, love her. But then there's, a, there's that other pull that says, look at that. You know what I'm talking about, men? There's a pull inside of me that says, give your money. Give it to somebody. There's a need. Write the check. Share in their difficulties. And there's another part of me that just keeps saving for the next vacation. There's a part of me that's so full of joy, that, that is so happy in Christ, and there's another part of me that lives in constant despondency, depression, believing the lies of the enemy. You with me? It makes me tired, to be honest, kind of pisses me off, just being frank. It makes me a little angry. But again, that's not necessarily bad if you're angry at the right thing. Your problem is not your spouse, <laughs> right? Your problem is not, your problem is sin, the sin within. And it, this, this constant tension can create frustration. You can feel defeated. Raise your hand if you often live in shame. I'll be the first one to put it up. That I consistently do what God forbids. I live in the shame. I live in the guilt of that. And so I wonder if you do too. But when over time you have this shame and guilt and struggle and failure, there are often times where you feel so defeated that it leads you into doubt. Am I really a Christian? Does God really love me? Are his plans really being lived out in my life? Or will I always struggle with this? John Piper says, when do I doubt God? Never in tragedy. But when I see the slowness of my sanctification. You doubt God? Because of this? 
because of the tug of war? Because of the inconsistency with what you really want to do and what you're actually living out? You may come to a conclusion like Paul does. It might be so intense at times that you look in the mirror and you say, wretched man that I am. You want to know who I am? I'm a mess. I'm wretched. I stink. I'm not doing good at this. I'm failing more than I'm succeeding, it feels like. Because there's sin within me. Wretched man that I am. Wretched woman that I am. And I think there's a certain amount of health that comes with recognizing that apart from God, that is exactly what sin has done to you. It has made you wretched. It has made you despicable. You say, well, that doesn't sound like Sesame Street. Well, Sesame Street lied to you. Sorry, parents. Actually, you're welcome, parents. Almost not preaching. Wretched man that I am. What's wrong with me? Why do I keep doing this? It's the sin within you. Sin dwelling in you. It's not even you doing it. Paul's saying, it's not even me. It's sin at work within me. Some of you need the freedom of just knowing that right now. That the Spirit of God does indeed live inside of you. But it's the sin that lives in you that keeps pulling. That doesn't give you an excuse to do it. Please don't mishear me. But sometimes you've got to point a finger at the problem and say, sin, that's you. Sin, that's you. This isn't me, what you're trying to get me to do. That's not me. That's not my identity. That's not what defines me. You're trying to make me do, do something that's inconsistent with who I am. So sin, quit it. It's the sin that lives in you. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? There it is, a recognition of who he is and a recognition that the problem is in, that the solution is outside of him. Something on the outside needs to come on the inside to fix this problem. And that is no one else other than Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the answer to that question. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? Jesus will. That is the gospel. You will not deliver yourself, but Jesus has and will deliver you from the sin inside you. And don't miss God will deliver you. Because that is what Paul is saying. Who will deliver me? He recognizes this. That he has not been fully delivered yet. Christian, you have not been fully delivered yet. And actually, the presence of the conflict right now should be enough assurance to prompt you forward. Right? I'll never forget, I think it was like 2012. I'll try to share this briefly. I sat with a good friend, you, oh, Bernie. I sat with Bernie. And uh, I'm just sharing. I was like, listen, Vern, I, I, I've been a pastor for eight years, and I'm in a season where I don't even want to read the Bible. It's not interested. I'm just being honest with you, Bernie. And I'm, I'm, it, it scares me. My prayer, my prayer times are, are nil, and when I try, uh, I don't know what to say. And uh, when I read the scriptures, it just, it just kind of bounces off my forehead. And to be honest, I, I find myself... Uh, pulled away to other things, nothing like 
massively tragic or disqualifying. It's just my attention's not on, on the Word. My attention, my, my heart. And, and, and he's like, well, well, how do you feel? He asked me, well, how do you feel about that? I said, I feel like crap. I feel terrible. I'm the most miserable I've ever been. He said, well, I'm not worried about it then. I said, what do you mean you're not worried about it? What kind of pastoral counsel is this? He's like, he's like, listen, if you were happy, then I'd be worried. You're not reading to the extent that you should. You're not praying to the extent that you should. And guess what? You have no joy. Because the things that give you joy are in prayer in the scriptures. God is your joy. If you're not engaging God, you're miserable. But that's only for those who know Christ. Right? That the fact that we have this conflict is a reassuring thing. That the Spirit lives in you. And that there's a tug of war in your heart. Because if you did not know Jesus, you would have no desire for Him. You would not feel attention when you sin. You wouldn't feel that. And so, if you're in the struggle, be reassured that this means that God will deliver you. God has delivered you. He put His Spirit in you. And guess what? If He has delivered you, He will deliver you. And the conflict itself is a reassuring one. The difficulty we have as sinners is that we want to pump the microwave and say, sanctified, boop, 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 30 seconds. But that's not how God works. He works over time. He works through the battle. He works through the conflict. So if you're wondering, what could reassure you and give you hope today? Because as hard as this conflict is, it is never hopeless. It is never hopeless. The existence of the conflict gives you hope enough. And oh, by the way, the plan of God gives you hope. This is how God saves, decisively and progressively over time as you fight sin. So please, if you're wondering today, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who will deliver me from this conflict? Know that it is God in Christ alone. God has and God will deliver you from the sin inside of you through Jesus Christ. So trust him. Trust him in the tug of war. Hold on to him. Don't let doubt creep in. Trust in Christ. Fight sin by the Spirit, with the Word, in and through the local church. Fight sin. And then wait. That's the toughest one for our instantaneous culture. Wait. God has not fully delivered you yet. But God will. You just have to wait. Wait. And one day you will see with your own eyes a glory that will fully and eternally transform you. And you will never know the power or the presence of sin again. That tug of war will be over. And all that you will know is the goodness, righteousness, and holiness of the God that saved you and life forevermore. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we give you praise every week. I feel inadequate to this task, but it's not about the task itself. It's about the word that you give to us today. That is adequate. You are adequate. We confess together that sin inside of us is our greatest issue. Give us the humility 
and the uh, ability to see that. And I pray even now that we would run to you, that we would trust in you, that we would see that the greatest uh, remedy is found outside of us, and that is exactly who you are and what you have done in Jesus Christ. Who will deliver me? Who will deliver us? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.